Well, guys, we are in the midst of a series called Doubt in the Storm. And uh, it's a series of learning how to hang on for dear life, even when it seems like God doesn't care. And we're in the middle of a story that we started two weeks ago. Um, it's kind of this weird story where two, two stories kind of intersect. And um, today we're going to be wrapping it up, even though we're really not going to cover the whole ending. We could spend another week on this, but there's just a lot going on in the story, and I've not wanted to rush through it. But I do think we're going to come to the end of it today, um, um, even though we won't be able to spend a lot of time on the end. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to read through what we've covered so far. And I'm not going to have it on the screen behind me, so if you have a Bible, please turn to Mark chapter 5, verse 21. That's where we're going to start. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Otherwise, if you don't have a Bible, you can just follow along, you know, as I read it. Starting in verse 21, it says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there, and seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better... She grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and, and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? And you see the, the people crowding around you, his disciple answered, yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Now go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, as we've talked about before, this story starts off with a synagogue ruler by the name of Jairus whose daughter is dying and doesn't have much longer to live. I mean, we are down to moments here. And he comes to Jesus, and he falls to his knees, and he begs Jesus to come to his home and touch his daughter so that she might live. And we see that Jesus immediately listens to his request. He immediately begins to head off to this man's home. And they start heading out through the crowd. And you remember the crowd is really thick. There's a lot of people. So they're kind of having to push themselves through the crowd and get all the way through it. When all of a sudden, a woman shows up on the scene. A desperate woman who has been suffering for 12 years. And this woman, not trying to draw attention to herself, to herself, comes up with the idea that if she just comes up behind Jesus and she reaches out to touch the hem of his garment, she thinks that, man, if I just do that, I will be healed. And then I can head home and nobody will even know it even happened. But when she sneaks up and she touches his cloak, yes, she is healed, but Jesus suddenly feels this rush of power leave him, and he wants to know who in this crazy huge crowd had touched him, touched his clothes. And so he stops and he, and, he, and he looks around and he asks, who touched my clothes? But no one comes forward. And the disciples are like, Jesus, seriously? Who touched your clothes? Who hasn't touched your clothes? 
Probably hundreds of people have touched your clothes. Why are you worried about who touched your clothes? I mean, come on. And they're kind of irritated that he would even ask this kind of question. But it doesn't phase Jesus. He keeps looking around. And I can imagine him getting up on his tippy toes looking around. Who touched my clothes? Who touched my clothes? And he's looking around. Now let's just stop there for a second. And let's just imagine. I've been asking you guys to imagine yourself in this story. And I want us just to imagine what this Jairus, this synagogue ruler, is feeling right now. What do you think is running through his mind? Any suggestions? Hurry up! up. Anything else? Who cares about her? Worry about me. Exactly. I mean, I can imagine if I had a daughter at home dying and might die at any second, I would be growing kind of frustrated at Jesus that he's wasting all this time looking for who touched him in this crazy crowd. I mean, come on, Jesus. Forget about it. Let's get going. And I I mean, if I were that guy, I would have tried to hurry Jesus along. But he doesn't do that. He just stays quiet. Well, Jesus keeps looking around, and eventually, as we all know from the story, this woman finally comes forward herself. She realizes that she just can't run away and ignore Jesus. So with fear and trembling, she comes up to Jesus, she falls at his feet, and she ends up telling Jesus what it says in the passage, the whole truth, the whole story. Now, last week we talked about this. It, like it says, he tell, she tells him the whole truth, the whole story. That means from start to finish. Twelve years of her life, she just dumps on Jesus. And as I said last week, it probably took a long time. You don't just tell 12 years of your life in just a few minutes. No, you take your time. You tell how it started. You tell how it progressed. You you talk about the nights of sleeplessness, the pain, the rejection, the isolation, the judgment that you felt from people, maybe even your own family. You, you share all the horrors of the, the last 12 years of your life, and, and she just dumps that on Jesus. And then she gets to tell him about the healing and how amazing she feels and the hope that she has and all the details surrounding that. And so I'm sure this story took a long time, and Jesus patiently listens to the whole story. But imagine what our friend Jairus is feeling. Imagine what he's having to endure. I mean, literally... Jesus was walking to his house. Jesus was making his daughter his number one priority. Jesus was heading directly to the house. His daughter was going to be saved. She was going to live. And then all of a sudden, this woman shows up and she takes Jesus completely off mission. Suddenly, Jesus isn't focused on his daughter anymore. He's he's stopped walking toward the house. He's been distracted from what the most important thing in this man's life is, his daughter. And now, he's spending all this time with this woman. This nobody of a woman. This woman, for all intents and purposes, was a reject. She was unclean. And it was not cool that this unclean woman showed up in the middle of the crowd and touched Jesus. No, that's not cool at all. You don't touch anybody if you're unclean, especially Jesus. You aren't one of the normal, clean people. You're an outcast. Unclean people shouldn't have access to Jesus like that. And I'm not sure, but he might have started comparing himself to her. I mean, who is this woman anyways? What has she done for God? Nothing. I mean, think about it. I'm the synagogue ruler. 
I have given my life to organizing worship of God. I should have a little priority here, not her. God should do what I've been asking, not what she's asking. You should, you should be doing what I've asked to do, not wasting time with this woman. And I mean, good grief, she just keeps going on and on about her story. And my daughter is dying. And I'll bet you inside, he's just like, oh! Scripture doesn't tell us this, but we can certainly imagine this is going on in his mind. Precious minutes are being wasted away as this woman keeps telling her story and Jesus patiently listens and completely focuses on her. And I love this. I can totally picture Jesus doing this. He's in this huge crowd of people and he zeroes in on this one woman. He is in the audience of one. And he's listening to her. Have you ever had the conversation with people where they're talking to you but they're not really talking to you? I was at a church one time, and I was talking to the senior pastor. This was like 25 years ago. And I, was, I was, went up to say something about his sermon or talk to him. And he's like, uh-huh, yeah, hey, Tom, good to see you, bud. Yep, all right. Yep, oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. Hey, all right, Sally, have a great week. Hey, did you get that thing I asked you? Oh, okay, cool, all right, that's awesome. Yep, uh-huh, all right, okay, yep, all right. Hey, all right, Billy, we'll see you later. And it was like he was talking to everybody but me. And I remember thinking to myself, man, I, I don't want to do that. When I talk to somebody, I want to zero all my attention on them and show them that they're the most special person in my life right now. I want to talk to them. And it's easy when you're in a crowd to get distracted by all the out, you know, things going on, but zero in on them. And that's exactly what Jesus does here. He's zeroing in on this one woman in the midst of this huge crowd. And you know what kind of hit me? If you pay attention to Jesus, he's no respecter of persons, is he? Everyone is important to him. He cares for the lowly people, as the world would put it, as well as the notable people, as the world would put it. And I think that's important for us to pay attention to today. Because who knows, you might be sitting here this morning and thinking to yourself, man, I know exactly how this woman feels. Because I feel like I'm a nobody. I don't have a, a fancy title. I'm not this GQ stud or this beautiful model that turns heads in a crowd. I'm just invisible. Nobody looks at me. Nobody cares about me. Nobody loves me. I'm the outcast. I'm the reject. I'm on the bottom of the totem pole. My life's too messy. My life's too sinful. I've made too many mistakes. I'm too unclean. And that might be how you feel about yourself this morning. And you know the craziest thing is, whether you like it or not, it affects how you approach God. Like this woman, it affects how you approach God. You can't meet Him face to face because you're too embarrassed. It affects your prayer life because you can't talk to Him freely because you don't think you're worthy enough. It affects your entire life as a follower of Jesus Christ because you truthfully think... He doesn't care about you. You truthfully don't. In fact, you're not even sure He knows who you are. You're not even sure you're on His radar screen. You truthfully think that even in God's eyes, you're a nobody. Well, guess what? That simply is not true. And this story proves that it isn't true. This story should dispel any sort of thinking like that. Because Jesus doesn't care 
if you have a title. He doesn't care if you're a model. He doesn't care if you own a business or if you're a big shot or a celebrity. Nor does he care if you've made too many mistakes. He doesn't care if you're too unclean. He doesn't look at or care about that stuff. He loves you for who you are. And do you want to know why? Because he created you. And he loves you. And if he was willing to stop everything for this nobody, outcast, unclean, reject of a woman, then I promise you, he has time for you. He cares about you, and he'll stop everything for you. It's true. And can I just add, if that's how you're feeling about yourself this morning, if you feel like you're like this woman, then I'd encourage you to study and meditate on Psalm 139. It's a powerful psalm. And it will make you realize how special you really are to God. I'm serious. Take some time to do that. Because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You were knit together in your mother's womb. His thoughts towards you are as numerous as the grains of sand on the seashore. All verses from 139. And let them seek in. You're special to Him. And it's Jesus' desire to restore the lowly and the notable all into a relationship with Him. That's what He desires. Well, finally, for what seems like forever, she winds up her story and Jesus says something to her. And I don't know, I might be really reading into this. It might be just coincidence. But notice what Jesus says in verse 34. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Notice what He calls her. What does he say? Daughter. Jesus calls this woman his daughter. Now I don't know, but it seems to me that this was important. This was an important thing for this man Jairus to hear. Because if I'm seeing what I'm thinking I'm seeing, is like Jesus is showing this high and mighty synagogue ruler that yes, your daughter is important. And as her father, you care deeply for her. But what you need to understand is that this woman is my daughter. And I care very deeply for her. And I will not just pass by her. I will not just ignore her. I will not not listen to her just because society has done that for so many years to her. No, I'm going to stop. And I'm going to show her that I love her. And I'm going to bless her. And I'm going to send her on her way in peace. Because that's what I do for my daughters. And she's my daughter. And so, yes, I know you love your daughter. And you're concerned for your daughter. But you know what? I love my daughter, too. And I'm concerned for her too. And that's why I'm talking to this woman. And I love that. I love how Jesus can take someone at the very bottom of life and with one name, daughter, can change her entire life. Like we often say here at Whitestone, with a new name comes a new life. And that certainly is true of this young woman. And I'm pretty confident Jesus wanted Jairus to hear this. Well, something dreadful is about to happen. Something that this father was terrified might happen. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter's dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? As I read this story over and over, I could totally imagine this scene. I can imagine him looking at Jesus ministering to this woman and kind of looking at the crowd and seeing some people walking towards him and him going, no, 
No, no, no, no, no, no. This, is, this wasn't the way this was supposed to go down. This wasn't the way this was supposed to play out. No, Jesus, you were supposed to come to my house and you were just supposed to prevent this. And I can imagine the thoughts running through his mind saying, I'm, uh, my daughter is dead. My beautiful daughter is dead. I'm no longer going to walk up to the house and have her wrap her arms around me and say, hey, daddy. I'm not going to be able to sit in the living room and look and see her cooking a meal with her mother. I'm not going to get to see her grow up into a young woman and get married and have kids of her own. I'm losing all that. And I'm sure he was thinking, I should have been by her side when she died. Instead, I'm in this stupid crowd. What am I doing here? And I can imagine his thoughts starting to turn towards anger, saying, you know, Jesus, you you took too much time. You, You didn't hurry. You didn't care about my issues. You didn't care about what I'm facing, my problems, and now my daughter is dead. And yeah, I'm glad for this woman and all, but my daughter's dead. You didn't do anything for me. And this woman's life has changed forever, but you know what? My life is ruined. And I wonder if we've ever had those thoughts before. Why didn't God show up for my problems? Everybody seems to be more important to God than I am. Jojo over here, who doesn't even know Jesus, or if he does, he certainly doesn't follow him because his life is just shows completely the otherwise. He gets cancer, and they pray for him, and he's healed. God shows up at his house and performs a miracle. And that's awesome and all. I'm glad for Jojo, but I'm over here giving my life to God, serving you, God. I'm the synagogue ruler, for heaven's sake, and I'm praying and praying and praying for my daughter, my son, my sister, my brother, my wife, my husband, my whoever. You fill in the blank. And God doesn't show up to my house. And so my loved one wastes away and dies. And we fall to the ground in a heap and cry out, where were you, God? Why did you ignore me? Why are my prayers not important enough? Why do you listen to the prayers of everyone else and you don't listen to me? I wonder if those thoughts have ever gone through our mind. Truth is, we've all had thoughts like that. And you know, it's not a pretty place to be, is it? And you know, it seems like in these moments is where the enemy comes in and he begins to whisper those words to you over and over. Those words that the men spoke to Jairus. Don't bother the teacher anymore. They're dead. Your loved one is gone. Don't don't bother with Jesus anymore. Your loved one is too sick. Don't bother with Jesus anymore. The situation is too messed up. Don't, Don't bother with Jesus anymore. The addiction is too strong. It's too powerful. Don't bother with Jesus anymore. Just leave him alone. He he didn't care about your problems, so why should you care about him? Don't bother with him anymore. It's not going to do you any good anyways. And the temptation is, is to just walk away. To turn your back on Jesus and say, you know, I tried. I cried out to you. I fell on my knees before you and I begged you to come to my house and perform a healing in my house, to perform a healing in my marriage, to perform a healing with my child, with my loved one, but you didn't. And you'll go to everybody else's house, but not mine. And now my loved one is dead. 
and now my marriage is over, and now my situation is completely lost. Thanks for nothing, Jesus. Thanks for nothing. And whether we like to admit it or not, those thoughts can plague us. And the enemy's lies get whispered to us in our grief, in our sadness, in our hopelessness over and over and over again. And it's a scary place to be. Fear can overwhelm us because everything we've trusted in seems to have been ripped away. And it's hard. But notice what Jesus says here. Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Now, focus on what Jesus does there. Ignoring what they said. Let me ask you, Whitestone. What they said, was anything that they said untrue? No. It was completely true. She was dead. But Jesus flat out ignores them. And you want to know why? Because their comments would cause Jairus to focus on the physical seen world and take his eyes off of God. And that's what the enemy does. The enemy wants you to focus on the physical world, the seen world, and to take your eyes off the unseen reality of God and His kingdom. And he will draw your attention to the pain, to the disease, to the failed marriage, to the addiction, to everything but God. And that's why, like Jesus, we must ignore him. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Just believe. And I believe these are words that God has for each of us in life, no matter what we're facing. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Now granted, we know the end of the story. If you read the story, you know that Jesus eventually makes it to the house and he raises this little 12-year-old girl from the dead. And it's awesome. It's a great end to the story. It's a happy ending. We're not going to focus on that part of the story today because here's the deal. Very few of us, if any, will have an end to our story like that. And I'm not saying it's not possible. It most certainly is possible. But often the story doesn't end like that. Often he doesn't calm the storm. Often we're called to walk even when the waves are crashing down upon us. The story often doesn't have the happy ending like this one does. But regardless, these words are absolutely life-giving and full of truth. And so I want us to focus on these words of Jesus even when our story doesn't turn out like that. Because that's what I think God wants us to see today. And trust me, I get it. It might be hard for take, to take these words and to make them our own when our story doesn't end like this one. But regardless, they're the words of Jesus. And they're words of life. And so we must cling to them. So let's do that. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And I want you just to meditate on those words for ten seconds. Just let them sink in. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think Jesus tells us to not be afraid? Well, here's why I think he tells us 
to not be afraid, but to explain it, I'm going to have to show some progression that happens in our minds and hearts that we might not even know happens. But it starts off with suffering. And if you notice, suffering causes us to question the reality of our unseen God and his kingdom. It's just the way it is. If everything was perfect in our life and nothing went wrong, it would be easy for us to say, yep, God, you're real, you're here, you're working, this is awesome, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good, praise the Lord, hallelujah, my life is just amazing. But when life gets hard and suffering comes in and hardship comes in and trial comes in and waves crash down upon us, I don't care who you are, it is at those times where it is very easy to begin to question the reality of God and his kingdom because we can't see him. And number two, the more we question the reality of our unseen God and his kingdom, the more fear we will have in our lives. That's just a reality. Because we will start to question, well, what if this is the only reality? What if only the only thing I can see is the only reality we have? What a hopeless situation this is. What a place of despair this is. And fear can start to creep in and start to overwhelm us. And the next progression is when we fear, we will naturally focus on the physical seen world. We'll start to look at the waves. We'll start to look at the wind. We'll start to look at the trials and the hardships and the suffering and the pain. Like Peter, who's walking on the water, when he begins to fear, he sees all the physical world. And the next progression is, you guys know the answer to this, when we focus on the physical seen world, what do we do? We sink. We sink. And so Jesus tells us, do not fear. Just believe. Now, what does it mean when Jesus tells us to just believe? Well, we've, we've looked at that definition before. What does it mean to believe? It's a pretty simple definition. It means this. It means to act as if something were true. And Jesus is acting, asking us to act, or better yet, to live as if our unseen God and his kingdom is true. To actually live and move and make action as if it were true. Like Peter, he, he says, Peter, come to me. And Peter, focusing on the unseen reality of God and his kingdom, he steps out of the boat, he gets on the water, and he walks on water. Why? Because he's not focusing on the seen world, he's focusing on the unseen world, and he's doing the impossible. And Jesus is asking us to live like that. And yes, the storm may continue to rage. Our loved ones may still suffer or even die. Our marriage may suffer and may even end. Addictions may continue and rage in our family. Situations may get worse. But we cannot be afraid. We cannot doubt or question the reality of our unseen God and His kingdom just because of what is going on in the physical seen world. We must continue to walk and live and act as if He were true and real and present in our lives. We must believe. Amen? There's a woman in our church family who's been battling pancreatic cancer for the last couple years. And the truth is, if Jesus doesn't show up at her house and touch her, she's going to die. She doesn't have much longer on this earth. 
But you know, my wife and I went to visit her a couple weeks ago, and I have to say that this woman is a living, breathing example of what we're supposed to be doing in the midst of our storms. Because this cancer is ravaging her body. It is taking her apart bit by bit. And it's painful. And there's a lot of suffering. But you know, this woman has not taken her eyes off of Jesus. And in her moments of cognition, when she has her mind, she digs into the Word of God, and she digs into her devotionals, and she journals what the Spirit of God is telling her. And she is focusing on the unseen reality of God and His kingdom. She knows God is at work. And you know, she's even told her family and her friends, she says, I don't ever want to hear you use the word, I'm going to die. I want you to say this, when I go meet the king. Because she's not, she doesn't want to focus on the physical realm. She wants to focus on the unseen realm. And when her body ends up perishing, her body ends up quit breathing, she is going to meet the king. And that's what's true to her. And she's clinging to it with everything she's got. And she's not afraid. She's just believing. And yeah, there's some tough days. and There's a lot of suffering. But she's just ignoring the enemy. Because she knows God is real. And you know, Whitestone, that's how we're to live. In whatever storm we're in. And so, Whitestone, I leave you with this, the words of Jesus. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Amen? Here's your homework this week. Your job is to take these words of Jesus and apply them into your present situation. We're all going through junk. We're all going through some tough things. We're all suffering. What are you going through in your life right now? How are you being afraid? How, where in your life are you sinking? How can you change your mind and believe? And what does believing look like practically in your situation? Spend some time with God on that. Ask Him those questions. And I promise you He'll answer. And if you want to, you can email me what He shows you. I will be a brother who can encourage you in your storm to keep believing. But if you don't want to and it's just personal to you, I understand. Just make it between you and Jesus. But regardless, I encourage you to do this homework because it's part of what we need to be doing in our lives. Amen? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the story and I thank you for the truths in it. But Jesus, you know, speaking for myself, I'm going to be honest with you. It's a lot harder than it appears. Because this physical world screams for our attention. It is constantly scratching and clawing and trying to get us to focus on it rather than you, God. And so, God, I pray that you would teach us and train us and instruct us how to be men and women who continue to focus on you, even though we can't see you. Teach us how to do that, God practically, in our lives, day by day, night by night. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, in that that, that story, when Jairus is there seeing Jesus minister to this woman, the people from his house, they walk up and they enter the story. And they say to Jairus, they say, Jairus, 
Don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter's dead. And I don't know if you're like me, but when I get to that part of the story, I just want to scream. I want to inject my words into the story, and I want to say, no. Guys, you're getting it wrong. He's not just a teacher. If he was just a teacher, then yeah, walk away, Jairus, but he's not just a teacher. He's Jesus. He's the Son of God. He's the great I am that I am. He's the creator of this universe. He spoke and the universe came into existence. He's the Lion of Judah. He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He's the resurrection and the life, the the way, the truth, and life. He's Jesus. And that's what I want to scream into that because that's what we need to be reminded of in in our current lives, in our situations. The enemy is going to say, just walk away from the teacher. Don't bother with the teacher anymore. And you can stand there and you can ignore him and say, no, he's not just a teacher. He's Lord. And because of what we just celebrated, he went to that cross, he was buried, and he rose again, and he now holds the power of death. He holds the keys to Hades not the enemy and that's why we cling to him and that's why we ignore the enemy and that's why we persevere in the trials even when it doesn't make sense he's real let's run after him with everything we have amen whitestone guys i love you have a wonderful week we'll see you next sunday